Thank you so much to our worship team. Can you actually join? We're just going to give them a huge round of applause for their efforts and their time they put in to leading us out today. Thank you so much to Gemini and the rest of the team. Really appreciate you guys. You know, I'm in, I'm in awe every week when I walk through the doors and I walk through the church and I see just how many people we have serving our community every single week. Uh, I was able to go through it over the last few weeks and I've seen, we've had about 200 to 250 people that have served in church over the last few months. And I think that is something incredible and beautiful about this church. Um, and it's not always easy to serve, right? For those that are on guest services, you'll know the, the tough job that it is sometimes to um, you know, make sure that we're remaining compliant to the regulations that we have and um, doing it with a smiling face, really admire the passion and the um, energy that you guys bring to our church. So I'd love if we could actually thank our guest services team, our hosts, our Kids Connect, our Parents Connect leaders, you guys are the reason we can be here every week and worship as we do. So my name's Lockin, I'm one of the pastors here, and I do want to continue and extend a huge welcome to everyone that has joined us today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 in person, or you're joining us online, or in Auditorium 2. We have a few people in there as well, and I'm very excited for next week, because we're going to have twice as many people in here. It's going to be so good, even more smiling faces to see on a Saturday morning. Do we have any weather fans in the house tonight? Today, sorry. Any weather fans? Fans of the weather? Just me. So, oh, Julie, Gemini, a few others? Any, yeah, a couple over here? Awesome. I see you, Elise. That's great. Anyone heard of the Intertropical Convergence Zone before? Couple? All right, Elise apparently has heard of it. That's great. The Intertropical Convergence Zone. This is actually a zone uh, on the planet Earth. This is Earth here. You might recognize it. You live on it. Um, not in the picture there, but just off to the right there. The Intertropical Convergence Zone is a part of uh, the Earth's atmospheric... Weather stuff, I'm not the best at weather, I'm trying to explain it well. This is where it is, right? Where this dotted line is. And what this intertropical convergence zone is, it's a place um, close to the equator where trade winds from the northern and southern hemispheres converge, hence the term convergence zone, right? The intertropical convergence zone. And where these trade winds come together, they kind of cancel each other out. And there's a really interesting phenomenon on the oceans where there's basically a very still area of water. There's almost no wind, but because of how close it is to the equator, you get lots of water uh, vaporizing and you get really big bands of clouds going across. And what it results in is lots of storms, um, but also very still weather as well. And it's a really interesting uh, part of the, the, the Earth's atmosphere. Now, you may have heard of this by a different name before, because it's also referred to as the doldrums. The doldrums. And this was probably one of the most feared places amongst seafarers for the last few centuries, prior to when we had the technology of, of motors and rotors on boats. Because if you were to end up in the doldrums, it was very difficult for you to get out. Because when there's no wind, you can't actually use a sail, it becomes useless. And the doldrums became one of the most feared places amongst seafarers across the globe, even more so than the Bermuda Triangle. And while we have the technology today to kind of carry us through the doldrums, to, to help us to, to get out of them if we're on a boat, I think it's probably fair to say that the spiritual and emotional equivalent of the doldrums, that feeling of feeling a bit dry, feeling like we're in the midst of storms all the time, feeling like we're a bit stuck, right, is more prevalent than ever. Particularly because of the year we've had, it's resulted in many of us feeling like in a, in a spiritual or an emotional sense that we're stuck in the doldrums. And coming into this time of year, where we're entering into the busy season, the Christmas season, 
it can be really intimidating because we're thinking, okay, this is the busiest time of the year and this year's already been a nightmare. How on earth am I going to make it through the next month and a bit? Anyone else feeling like that or just me? There's a few of us, right? And that is exactly what the point of this new series is. This new series is called Unhurry. As you look at the life of Jesus, you never see him in a rush. You never see him sprinting between appointments. You see him moving at a pace that is sustainable. And I think there's something to be said for the lifestyle of Jesus. And I think if us as followers of Jesus are going to experience the life that he has for us, we do need to adopt some of the practices that he lived out in his life. Would that be fair to say? So what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack something that Jesus clearly lived out in his life. And by the end of today, I hope we're going to have a bit of a framework for us to think about how is it that we can get out of the doldrums and get into that that wind-filled, that exciting, that, that full and abundant life that God has in store for us. But I'd love to pray before we begin, so if you can join me, let's bow our heads as I pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can come together and dive into it today. I ask you to rid me of myself. Lord, it's not about me, it's all about you, and I pray that might come through from this message. Speak to us now, in Jesus' name I ask, amen. So it's probably important to ask the question, well, how do we get here, right? Is the doldrum someplace you're, you're in it one day, you're out the next? Is it something that is a bit more gradual? How did we get here? How do we get to this space? And there's a few reasons. One of the reasons many people get here is that they lose direction, right? So in terms of our walk with God, when we lose sight of where God's leading, or, or when we kind of get blown off track because we miss the big picture of where God wants to take us on our personal journey with him, it's really easy to end up in that spiritual no man's land, that place of just going through the motions, maybe rocking up to church each week and checking out on our phones, maybe kind of just cruising through our days and our weeks and claiming to be a Christian, but then really struggling to, to feel excited about that or to live it out day to day. Another reason a lot of people get stuck in the doldrums is that they get caught in the eye of the storm, right? They get blown around by life's storms. And I think if we're being honest, we've all been blown around a bit by this year's storms of, of COVID-19, all the associated challenges of that. But when you get blown around by the storms, it's easy to get blown off course and end up in a place where you feel like there's, you know, you're in the eye of the storm. There's, there's storms either side of you and you just don't know what to do next. You're stuck. And then a third reason many people get stuck in the doldrums is that they lose balance. You see, they, they recognize that they're there or that they're heading that direction. And so they focus more on doing the right things than being with God. And it gets them to a place where they just feel spiritually, physically and emotionally exhausted. We ask ourselves, how did we get here? How did we allow ourselves to get here? And if you feel like you're in the doldrums today, I want to just share with you that firstly, you're not alone there, that there are people that want to support you and care for you and help you, but also that there is hope, that you don't have to stay there, that Jesus has a more exciting and abundant life for you to experience. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it means that there is a way forward. And the first step out of the doldrums is to re-center, to realign our priorities. And that's what today's topic is. We're looking at priorities and the way that Jesus interacts with the concepts of priorities. So you ready? All right, two people are ready. Let's get into it. Hopefully you all can come with us. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> so we come to the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Now, Matthew is the first of four books that we call the Gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, the author of this book, and he was also an accountant. Now, I'm not an accountant, but from what I gather of accountants, they're very good with details. They're very good at, at, at making sure the details are correct, of cross-referencing their stuff. And Matthew is a great example of this. And as we're going to see as this passage we're about to read, that Matthew has been very meticulous in writing out and cross-referencing. He's like a lecturer's dream. He's got all the perfect references for his passage here. And the tension we're about to jump into, because we're kind of jumping in halfway through a conversation, is that Jesus is talking with some Pharisees. And Pharisees were religious leaders who were very focused on keeping the law and the law's integrity in the lives of God's people. And these Pharisees, they were kind of in a bit of a pickle because they had about 613 laws in the Torah, or the first five books of our Bible, that they wanted to keep. And because there were so many laws, it became almost impossible to keep them all perfectly. So they had a question of priorities to ask Jesus. They wanted to ask Jesus what the, the, the most important commandment was, because if they could work that out, it would frame the way, it would shape the way that they lived out the rest of them. Right? And so we jump into this passage with that tension kind of going on there in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible, and it says this. This is the Pharisees talking. They say, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? The law of Moses refers to those first five books of our Bible today. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're reading a paper Bible or if you're reading in, in your phones, you might see a couple of little references in that verse, a couple of footnotes there where Matthew's been very diligent with referencing. And the first of these commandments that Jesus speaks about, this to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, is actually a quote from the Old Testament. It's actually a quote from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. And this is the verse that says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, I want you to say this. I want you to say, Levav Nefesh Meod. Levav nefesh meod. That is the way in which you and I are supposed to love God. Those are the Hebrew words used for heart, soul, and strength. And it's interesting to note the, the background to this because we don't actually catch the same meaning of this verse as the Hebrews did because their understanding of these words was slightly different to us. They lived in a different world to what we live in. And so these are the ways, though, that we're told to love God. And so the first word is lavav. That's the word for heart. Now, we understand heart to be the internal organ, that, that source of, of life that pumps blood through our bodies and keeps us alive. And, and while the, the Hebrew understanding of this word was similar, it had a bit of an added connotation. The heart was not just the source of life, it was the very center of your life force as a human being. It was the very core of your existence. And so to love God with your lavav means to love God from the core of who you are. It's not just an external thing or an outside thing or a part of who you are. It's to love God from the core of who you are. The next word is nefesh. Nefesh. This is the word used for soul. Now, most of us today, we, 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 we might think of the soul as something that's kind of something that we possess or something that we have, or it's kind of like we're a body and a soul, and there's kind of two parts to us. 
And that way of thinking is very informed by the ancient Greeks, because that's how the Greeks understood soul. But the way that Jesus understood the human soul was actually built upon the Jewish understanding of soul. And the soul is not something in the Jewish mindset. The soul is not something that you possess or that you have. The soul is what you are. Right? You don't have a soul. You are a soul. And, and so to say that we love God with all our soul, that means we love God with, with all of our life. With all of our talents, all of our passions, with all of our abilities, our skills, our, our, our creativity, our relationships, with everything, with the extent of who we are, we love God. So it's not just with our voices as we praise or talk about him. It's not just with our thoughts. But it's from the core of who we are and with the extent of who we are that we love God. And then we come to this third word, me'od. And, and this is a bit of a weird word to translate because we don't actually have this word in English, but the best translation I have is this, muchness, muchness. I don't know about you, I've never used that word, but that's kind of the closest translation we have of this word me'od. Other similar words are like abundance or force or energy, those kind of things. But I like to think of this word like a guitar. So we had Ethan playing the guitar before, and he could have played that guitar just as it was, and we might have been able to hear it. But because he plugged it in, and they're able to turn it up and crank up the volume, it was able to amplify the sound of the guitar, right? And that's what muchness does. That's what me'od does. It says, don't just love God from the core of who you are and with the extent of who you are, but do that with everything you've got. Don't go halfway. Don't go partially. And as we reflect on this, I can't help but think, well, the number one priority of our lives, as Jesus is saying here, it needs to be our relationship with God. It needs to be our walk with Jesus. That should be our first priority as his people. But the second commandment that Jesus shares, which he says is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, again, is actually quoting from the Old Testament. It's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Now we look at this and think, Oh, phew, I only have to love those people that are like me. I only have to love the other Blues fans. I don't have to love the Marines fans. <sighs> but if you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, you'll know that he takes this concept of neighbor, which the people were familiar with, and he expands it past the borders of what they were comfortable with. And he takes this concept of neighbor from being just the people you like to being the people that you don't get along with, the people that you don't like, the people you even hate. And he takes this concept of neighbor and takes it from being those people that you like to everybody of primary importance to Jesus is our love for God and our love for other people. Or you could say it this way. The love we have for God and for others is Jesus' primary concern and it should be our number one priority. So I've got a bit of an illustration that I want to use now to um, explain this a bit further and I've got a volunteer who's going to bring over my table. Thank you, Ethan. Let's give Ethan a round of applause. And hopefully this illustration is going to give a little bit more insight into what it means to live out our priorities. Yeah, thanks, mate. What a great helper. Thanks, buddy. So as we think about our priorities, it's really important to ask that question, well, what would it look like if I actually did it? How would my priorities be reflected in my daily calendar, in my screen time report on my phone, or on my bank statement? How would they reflect my priorities? So I've got a few things here. I've got two jars. And these two jars are going to represent our life. One of them is going to be a life where we live out our priorities. 
The other is going to be a life where we don't. Okay, so these are our two jars. And then I've got three different types of substances I'm going to put in. The first is a, a few rocks. Now, these rocks are really special to me, actually. Um, if my parents are watching, they'll probably laugh at this, but I love collecting rocks. Um, when I went to New Zealand when I was two years old, I don't really remember much of the trip, but mum tells me that I collected almost a suitcase full of rocks when we were on that trip. And uh, she told me at the time that they'd lost the suitcase when we came home, but they'd actually, they told me a few years ago, they just chucked them all out and kind of broke my heart a bit. We're still building those trust bridges back up, but... Um, no, I'm just kidding. But these rocks are really special to me because they're ones that I've collected from around the place when I've traveled, and, and I really just value having different, different, different pieces of, of memories with me, right? So these things are really important, and what these are going to represent is like our number one priorities, right? So our relationship with God, uh, the way that we treat other people, maybe our family, right? Those really important things to us. So they're our top priorities. Then we have these smaller rocks here, which... Um, there's this thing in like the unit block that I live in, and when you walk in the door on the right there under the staircase, there's just a pile of rocks sitting there, and they've been there all year. I don't really know what they're for, but um, I think they're helpful in some ways. So like, they're, they're kind of like, the, the things that are there, and they're probably helpful, they're, they're things that maybe we need to get done, but they're not the most important. So maybe things like making sure that we're going to work every day, making sure that we're paying our taxes, paying all our bills, those tasks that need to get done, but maybe they're not our number one priorities, right? Those things that sit on your desk there, and you look at them, and you look at them for like a month, and then the day that they're due, you're like, okay, I need to do something about that. All the students know what I'm talking about, right? Those things that are probably important, but not the most important. And then we come to this thing here. Now, this is uh, raw sugar. So sugar tastes nice. It's sweet. Not the best for you, but it's, it's, it's all right. Brown sugar is probably a bit better than refined sugar, but sugar is going to represent those extra cool little things that we get to do with our lives that probably aren't the most important. So maybe things like scrolling through my phone and checking Facebook, or spending a bit of time on YouTube, or um, maybe just you know, doing those little things that we like or we really enjoy, but they're not the most important things in our life. So we've got these kind of three levels of priorities. And what a lot of us do is that we will um, wake up in the morning, and the first thing that we reach for is our phone, because our phone's got our alarm on it, right? So we'll reach for our phone, we'll grab our phone, and then all of a sudden we're, we're diving into the hole of social media, and uh, before long we're actually watching videos of Russian cats dancing to, like, pop music or something, right? Just me? Okay. <laughs> but but if, if we build our lives around those little pleasures that we enjoy first, we've still got a bit of space left in our life. I should have brought, like, a funnel or something. Sorry, Tom, he's going to get to clean this later. All right, so that's the first thing that's going in. Because they're the cool things, they're the fun things, they kind of help us get started for the day, they help us get going. And then we've got those other things that we've kind of put off to the side and we've procrastinated on. And uh, we realize, oh, okay, they're due tomorrow, I need, to, I need to get them done. And so we, we, we do those things that are you know, kind of important, but not the most important. And then they start to fill up. And then we get to a point where Okay, well, we've got our, our, our number one priorities, our things like our relationship with God, our relationship with our families, and we, and we try to fit them all in, but it, we quickly get to a point where it's a bit of a balancing act just to get them to try and stay in the jar. And when we put those things that aren't our number one priority in first, and then those really urgent things that aren't the most important, and, and then finally get those other really important things on top, we end up with a jar that kind of looks like this, Right? We feel like life's a bit out of control. And it's, it's interesting to note that we can have the best intentions, right? 
Like these, these are still our number one priorities. Our priorities haven't changed, but the way we've lived them out has resulted in a lifestyle that isn't conducive to that. So if people were to look at my life, they'd say, well, you say you value these things, but you don't make time for them. Like these are the things that you kind of do towards the end of your day when you're running out of time. You don't give your best efforts to them. And I think as, as followers of Jesus, we need to be people of integrity. And we need to, to have the courage to ask that question, well, am I actually living out the priorities that I say I, I want to live out? Am I actually living them out? So we're going to do the same thing again. I'm going to put the same amount of rocks in. And I'm really going to hope this works. But we've got our number one priorities again. But rather than having them as the, the first thing, sorry, the, the last thing of our day, maybe they're actually the first thing. Maybe instead of a phone, we have this thing called an alarm, alarm clock. Is that how you pronounce it? Alarm clock, yeah. And rather than grabbing for your phone first thing, maybe you press your alarm clock and then you just go and spend some quiet time with God. Maybe you grab a hot drink and sit there and just pray for a bit or read your Bible for a bit. Maybe then you go for a walk with your kids or you spend some time with them in the morning. Maybe in the evening, rather than going to do those bills, you'll spend time with your family and you'll, you'll roster that into your day first. Because those are the things that are most important to you. And then it comes to those other responsibilities. And, and because those main things that are most important to you, because you've lived them out, you actually feel a lot better about yourself. You actually feel like really satisfied with your days. And you don't find yourself struggling for motivation. So those other things that usually you'd be procrastinating on, you actually find, oh, I've got a bit more energy to do them now. Because my life is grounded in where it needs to be. And so, so you put in those other priorities that aren't the most important, but they're still important things to get done. And because you've done your main priorities in there first, there's a bit of wiggle room for them to fit in around it, right? And so then we come to those extra things that are a bit sweeter, those things that you know, might be just for us, maybe watching a movie at night or, or, or maybe spending some time um, catching up on some TV shows that we really enjoy. And we start to put those in. And because we've already put in those really important things, and then those things that are you know, also important but not, but, but not, as, not as important as, as those others, we still have more wiggle room. And, and we have a jar that's almost full, but there's still room there. There's still margin. There's still that gap. And as you can probably, hopefully you can see, there's actually gaps in the jar as well. And when we build our lives around our, what we, our priorities and when we're really intentional and focused about that, what we're going to find is that we have a life that is full, but it's not so full that we feel like everything is, is going out of whack, that everything is rushed, that everything is, is going all over the place. And the reason I share that illustration is because I think it's so important for us to consider the way that our priorities are reflected in our day-to-day -day lives. When I was first asked this question by a mentor of mine two years ago, he asked me, Lockie, he said, if someone was to look at your life and evaluate their life, would they say that you value the things you say you value? And as I reflected on that question, I had to answer and say, no, they probably wouldn't. They'd probably say that, I, that my number one priority was to be with my friends and to get validation from my friends. And then maybe my next priority was to um, do well on, on my studies and uh, get validation from my lecturers and kind of secure my identity in that a bit. Then maybe it was like my, my relationship with my family and keeping in touch with them and then probably towards the bottom of that list was my walk with God. Keep in mind, this is only a few years ago. This is while I'm studying to be a pastor. And I said I value God as my highest priority, but my lifestyle reflected something differently. And that set me on a journey of trying to work out well, what might it look like for me to live out a life where my 
Priorities are reflected by my lifestyle. And what better example do we have of that than Jesus? We see him talking about these priorities of loving God and of loving other people. They are the most important. If you look at his life, you'll not see him running or rushing. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some of the practices that Jesus built into his daily schedule, his weekly routines, that allowed him to live a life like that. And so we come to today's big idea. Jesus' primary concern is the love we have for God and for others. And that should be our number one priority. So how do we do it, right? How do we do it, Lockie? The way that we make this happen is we need to start by making a commitment. Making a commitment to say, yep, I want these to be my number one priorities. I want my priorities to align with God's priorities, with Jesus' priorities. I want to live the life that Jesus lived, so I need to adopt the lifestyle that Jesus adopted. I want to make this my number one priority and making a commitment to that. Because without a commitment, it's going to be really easy for you to back out. It's going to be easy for you to come to Sunday morning and be like, yeah, it's all right. We'll just move on with our week and try again next week. The next step is to actually write your priorities out. There's been a lot of research going into um, the power of actually writing out the things that you say you value. Because then at, at the very least with yourself, you've actually put it to paper. There's something you can see that's a physical reminder and it's a form of accountability with yourself that these are the things that I value. After that, you need to evaluate your life. And I mentioned a few ways we can do that before. We can look at our screen time reports on our phones. We can look at our bank statements. We can look at our weekly schedules. If you're a bit intimidated by that, maybe just spend one day this week and ruthlessly write down everything you do with your time. And then when you're done that, like categorize where those things would go under and see what that says you value. And then the fourth step is to actually embrace the power of community to help each other as we live out our lives according to the priorities that God wants for us. And so these are kind of four steps that you can apply to your life if you want to live out these priorities in a more meaningful and powerful way in the week ahead. And what we're going to do now is we're actually going to transition and I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually do that first step right now. So we saw a video before about communion, right? And today we have a great opportunity to do communion together. And if you have no idea what communion is, that's fine. Communion is actually uh, an opportunity to be a part of something that Jesus set in motion. And it's a practice that Jesus' followers have been doing for thousands of years. And uh, Jesus actually kind of did it first, and he said, all right, this is what I want you to do in remembrance of me, to remember the sacrifice I've, I've given for you, the blood I've poured out for you, the, my body that was broken for you. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect on that, to recommit our own lives to Jesus and to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your child. It's the reason why we don't have like rebaptism in the church. Like some people will get baptized and they might really struggle with some stuff and feel like, oh, I have to get rebaptized. I have to recommit my life to Jesus. This is the function of communion, right? Communion is actually like a reset button that we get to press every now and then and just feel like, yeah, okay, I recommit my life to you, God. And so what you'll see on the seats in front of you, or if you're in the front row, will be the seats below you. There's actually a little uh, communion carry pack here, I don't know what, we, what we're going to call them, but I want to invite you to grab those now, and remembering that there is no obligation to participate if you don't want to. Parents, if you're with children and you want them to be a part of it, feel free to do that. But communion is something that we get to take part in, and it's a personal opportunity to make a commitment to Jesus. And what I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to pray over these, 
right? These are, these are the, the symbolic representations that we have of Jesus' body and blood. And when we eat them, they're actually reminding us of the, of the sacrifice that he's paid for us. And, and they're our way of saying, yes, God, I accept that. I place my faith in you and I want to make a new commitment today to following you. And so if you find yourself in that space along with me, then I invite you to be a part of this with us. I'm going to pray over these now. We're going to read some verses and I'll give you an opportunity just to, to do this in your own time. So why don't we pray now over, over this, this bread and this juice. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, for your blood that was poured out for us. Lord, we, we, we accept the gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the free gift that we have. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we want to recommit our lives to you today. We want to realign our priorities with your priorities. Lord, may our number one priorities in the week ahead be reflected in our lifestyle. May we truly love you and love others in the way that you've called us to. God, I pray you might bless this time, that you might fill each of us and fill this space with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke 22, we, we read about this practice that Jesus initiated. It says that Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So we're going to have some music playing. Now, what I invite you to do is to actually participate in this communion. And if you want to just reflect or pause or take your time, then you have time to do that. Maybe you want to say a prayer of commitment to God. Maybe you just want to say thank you for his body and his blood that was broken and poured out for you. But I invite you to participate in that now. You'll see a little tab on the top and then a second one. The top one will open up to the wafer and then the bottom one will open up to the juice. So I just invite you to participate in that now in a time of reflection on what Jesus has done for you. Why don't we sing together? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yes, Father, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us, for your body that was broken for us, God. We praise you as our Lord and our Savior today, and we make a commitment to following you anew. We want our lives to reflect our priorities, Lord. We want to be people of integrity. We want to be able to take on the challenges of life with a confidence in who you are and how you have called us to live. And so, God, as we make these commitments, may they not just be decisions that are made today and forgotten tomorrow, but may they change the lives of us, of our families, and of those that we come in contact in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, I pray this today. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for church.
I hope that you've been blessed by this great opportunity that we've had just to reset, recommit. I think um, it's going to be a great series. This series called Unhurry, right? It's completely against what Christmas season is all about. But um, as we go through the next three weeks, I just invite you to, to be a part of this, um, to really lean in. We've got more capacity next week, so you don't have to miss next week. You can uh, come up, you can be a part of the service, and we would love to see you here. So God bless. Have an awesome rest of your Sabbath and a great week, and we'll see you next week.